All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to, so I guess we're at episode number three of the Drexel Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate. Dan's with me here tonight. So, uh, you know, you always hesitate to use the phrase normal, but uh, we actually have basketball games to talk about, which is kind of nice. Uh, I was just talking to Danny even tonight. We were at the went to Messiah women's basketball game, which is close by. They're, they had a COVID pause. They're playing, and uh, thankfully Drexel's playing too. We hope uh, everyone on the teams are healthy. Dan, I hope you're healthy. You, you're doing okay. I should have asked that. When we like you're you're fine. We're doing great over here. We're, we're doing yeah. we're doing we're uh, we're about sequestered at this point still, but we're doing great. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere right now. You, you know, there's some uh, some reason for hope in the next couple of weeks, but nice to. Hope the teams are healthy and hope we can keep this going and having basketball to talk about. So um, I was going to talk about the women's team first uh, and then we'll, we'll get into the men and then we'll talk uh, some news about conference realignment and what might go on there. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of go through a piece at a time here. Um, so uh, women's basketball team, um, you know, two games over the weekend. Uh, Friday night, they beat Northeastern uh, 63 to 50. And then uh, yesterday, uh, finally, a little bit of a breather. Uh, they beat uh, Hofstra 72-59, 72-53, I should say. Um, and Dan, chime in, you know, if you have anything to add. Um, you know, uh, but but basically Friday night, um, you know, Northeastern tried to turn it into a street fight, long story short. Uh, yeah, and, and like we talked about last week, teams are going to try to do um, – they're going to give Drexel their best shot because they're defending champions. So – um, and you got that sense for Northeastern. I was not in the building, but you could see through the broadcast. You felt like it was predominantly Northeastern crowd. It seemed like a pretty vocal crowd. Um, and it was, it got the sense of it was getting a little, uh, little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, scrappy is not the right word. Um, but either way, it was, it was just getting, um, get a little crazy. But, um, but Drexel, I think, you know, there was talk on the broadcast too that they maybe lost their composure a little bit. I thought they did pretty well to just kind of hang in there. Um, you know, and, um, but, you know, I, I really like the way we, we shot free throws, uh, Tessa Bruhler was seven of seven from the line. You know, if you're going to get in a game like that, where it's really just kind of a, a brawl type thing, you're going to get to the foul line and you're going to have to make free throws. And we talked with Marshall last week that we kind of struggled, uh, from the line, but, but, uh, Tessa Bruhler really did a nice job. And I have us, uh, 19 of 21 as a team, I guess that's right. I have to double check on my handwriting, but. Um, but despite Northeastern really, you know, trying to rough it up, we, we still had five, held five to 10 points on them pretty much the whole game. I mean, a couple points for Northeastern looked like they were going to get back into it, but, um, we just, you know, just kept plugging away and just had enough answers, uh, to keep the lead. Um, Kishana Washington got in foul trouble and, um, you know, one of them, I, I, I made a promise we were going to talk too much about, uh, refs on this podcast, but. Um, two calls in particular I'll talk about. One of them involved uh, Keyshawn Washington, where um, clearly the the Northeastern player was a block. You know, she was sliding her feet. She leaned in about you know a foot and a half, two feet to draw the the charge. Um, but uh, that was one of Keyshawn Washington's fouls. They called a charge. It was clearly a block. Um, but I thought that was good because then uh, Hyduke had to play and she filled in and got I thought some productive minutes at point guard. So we talked about trying to get more depth on the team. So it was nice to see Haidu play. And I thought she did a nice job. Um, and Kishana still ended up with 14 points. Uh, Nihil had 17. So, um, you know, despite the the type of game we played, we still kind of gutted that one out. And, and they had players like, like uh, Kate Connolly really showing a lot of aggressiveness and toughness, got some tough rebounds 
Uh, those are, that's, that's the way you have to play against that kind of team. And you know, maybe the book on us that so we can be a little bit soft, um, but not not the way we played Friday night. We we toughened up and, and picked up a, a win over a team that you know really tried to get under our skin. Um, and then uh, Mariah Leonard too. She's kind of I feel like the last few games we've been playing a lot better. I have her down as an efficient four of four or five from the floor. So um, you know again we were able to go inside and outside, and that's I think what good teams do. So um, you know it was a, a nice win for them. Um, and again taking another team's back best shot. So. Um, yeah, Nate, a couple of, of questions for you, I guess, on that one then. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, I don't know that I've, I've called these Dragons soft when I've seen them, but they're, they're smaller than most teams, right? Historically, Drexel's always been smaller than most teams. So that may be, right, that might be part of kind of what what a team like Northeast is looking at when they think, you know, they can ruffle some feathers. Is, you know, is that kind of your, your wavelength there? Yeah, and, and you know, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. Actually, it was at the Messiah game. I was like, you know, because we went, and we'll talk about the Hofstra game here soon, but it's like, I, I just felt like we're a bigger team than what I remember. And I think I, I, I use like 5'10 as the cutoff. I think we have nine players that are 5'10 or bigger. And I, I was like, well, what did our roster look like in 2014, 2015? And I, I counted six players that were 5'10 or bigger. And then, um, you know, then, uh, and, and three of them really didn't play. Like there are names that I hadn't really heard of. So I guess to say, I guess, and, and it came through yesterday, seeing them in person, I, I feel like we're trying to get bigger. So you wonder if that's maybe one of like Amy Mallon's things. She, she thought in the past we were on a small side and trying to get us a little bigger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if not bigger, I think other teams feel a little more athletic, more physical than us. And they probably felt that way and try to take advantage of that. But we, we, you know, found a way either way. So. And then I guess there seems to be, and I'll talk about this on the men's side too, but on the women's side, there seems to be about four teams, right, that are that are have separated themselves from the pack, right? It's Drexel, it's Taos, and it's Elon. And then I, I guess you can loop JMU in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're kind of the borderline fourth, right? Um, you know, I get the feeling, you know, you look at Kishana was in foul trouble, only played 27 minutes. Um, Hannah was in foul trouble, um, but she stayed on the court. She did have four turnovers. You know, but it looks like, you know, it almost feels like right now that you can play and only have one of those two have a big night. And there's enough surrounding pieces now. We're seeing more and more of the other pieces that you can kind of, uh, they can play and beat a team that isn't in that top tier, right? Especially at home and, and kind of hold serve, even if only one of them kind of brings their A game that night, which is, it just seems like a really big luxury. I don't know. You agree with that? Yeah, and, and that's why I kind of mentioned Mariah Leonard. I feel like you know she had that um, she had that game winner down at uh, I'm, I'm confusing. It was Charleston when she had the game winner because Connolly had the, the the shot to tie in regulation. I think at, at UNC Wilmington, if I'm getting that straight. But um, but bottom line is, yeah, it's players like Mariah Leonard and you know and and I mentioned Brugler, um, who I, I mean she is she has the potential to be the best. You know I. I, don't know, I guess you call him big man in women's basketball, but the, the best post player we've had. Um, in a sense, I feel like at times she tries to do a little too much, but when she plays within the offense, um, like I ever doubt for six of nine from the floor on Friday night, and like I guess that made her free throws. I mean, you don't have to do too much in our offense. The opportunities are going to be there, especially with the guard play we have. So you just make the simple plays and the easy plays, and yeah, you know, you, you, we can get ourselves, keep ourselves in games. So um, yeah, more depth than we've had in the past. All right. And the other game that they played was against Hofstra. Um, was yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we went down to the game. It was a nice distraction from the Eagles. You know, I, I thought the game started at two, and we got there in time for it to be at one. Of all things, I didn't play it. I didn't look at what time the game started. And then, but it actually worked out perfect because we sat up by the president's suite and watched the game on the TV. And just funny story you'll appreciate. The only people up in the president's suite, they, they showed up late, of course, and they sat directly behind us because we sat in the top row. And two of them were wearing Tom Brady jerseys, Bucks jerseys, and Buccaneers hats. And it was almost like, I, I would say, I feel like someone's trying to push me to do something to end up in prison. And like, that, that was like the, the next thing kind of pushing me. But, um, but it sounds like Mike T. Rosa had a family up there or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it was all the more reason to pay attention to the game, the, the basketball game, not the football game, because that quickly got out of hand. But, um, but no, it, so it ended up being a good distraction the way the women's team played. And, um, you know, not much else to say. It was 37-15 at halftime. I mean, they just they, they, they played really well on both ends. Um, it was 19-4. to They outscored them in the second quarter. So that was really kind of the difference maker of the game. Um, and, you know, going back to what you said with other options, and, and again, last week talking with Marshall about depth, the, the entire roster played. Um, and I've been wanting Hannah Satman to play, and she had 18 minutes. So she came in, I think, in the second quarter for the first time. We were playing like a two-three zone, and she was the middle under the basket in the zone, and um, so just nice to see her on the floor. And and then you know Tess Brugler again, you know five of six from the line. Um, we she's been struggling. She was like under seventy percent from the free throw line. So by my count, it's twelve of thirteen for the weekend. So that's awesome. Um, and then um, you know so and we got our usual you know Shauna Washington twenty-two points and efficient eight of fourteen. So um, you know just. I, I think we really showed, and, and yeah, you said there's some separation in the standings. I, you know, I, I haven't watched the women's game up and down the way I've watched some of the men's games. Like I know right now, Delaware and Northeastern's on. Unfortunately, CBS Sports Network's not working down here for some reason. But um, I haven't watched many of the other women's teams. But Hofstra, unfortunately, seems like one of the teams that's kind of kind of falling behind here. While everybody else is kind of, basically, by my they're going to be tough games every night. But Hofstra looks like they're kind of falling off the the wagon a little bit. But so it's nice to have them come in and, and beat them up. Um, Cause I think uh, they got beat up tonight or I'm, I'm trying to remember who, they, who else they played, but they basically have been blown out a couple of times. We kind of fought Delaware, I think beat them up pretty bad. Um, so we followed suit, you know, we blew them out too. And it shows we're, we're keeping up with teams like Delaware. Um, and, but no too, you know, I, and, and it's interesting seeing the whole roster and um I hope I'm saying her name right, but well, um, well, Valentine who does, has played at times, and then Ba who who came off the bench. Hope I'm saying her name right, um, but really, I, again, I think a different type of player than what we've seen in our program. Just you know, bigger physical type players. So when you talk about the future of the team, you know, we're always feel like we always have card play, but um, looks like more in line with what we have with Brugler. You know, really maybe getting a little bit bigger in in the post. So it'd be interesting to see, but. Um, and again, Mariah Leonard, she had eight points and her three of five and two of two from the line. And I feel like she's playing better game by game. So you add her to what Brugler's doing. And then we know we have guard play and, um, yeah, this team gets, keeps getting better. So, um, and then just, yeah, and they're going into a big week and you know, I have Towson tomorrow at home, the rescheduled game from I think New Year's Eve and then uh, Delaware on Sunday, which part of homecoming weekend. So, I mean, if they walk out of there, um, you know, with two wins, they're undefeated in conference. I mean, that's a heck of a start. So, um, so we'll see how this week goes. Yeah, women 4-0 so far against a pretty soft schedule. 
um, the test will be this week for sure. Pretty exciting week for them and a chance to prove they belong. Uh, as defending champs, they, they belong. We know they belong, but this is a chance to really put their mark on the league. Yeah. Well, qu- quick note, someone made a comment on the message board, which I, I usually, I mean, what I responded, I'm like, I'm usually the first guy just to say, get out of here with this at-large conversation. But, you know, they, someone pointed out if they hadn't lost to Maris, they'd only have one loss. They'd be 13-1. and one. And they, I played a kind of a not not a particularly difficult non conference schedule, but then you need to be thirteen and one, and they are. So um, yeah, that one loss kind of hurts them a little bit. But uh, but the bottom line is, win your conference games, win your conference tournament, go to the tournament, and they're still in position to do that. So we'll see what happens. I think you're right. I mean, the yeah, large is, is certainly, I guess, especially with the merit loss, merit loss. Obviously, it's, it's probably not going to happen. But had they not had that game, you would have liked them to see them punch up their out of conference a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's and they usually do. It was a surprising thing to me, and that could be part of the staff change. Maybe they weren't sure Hannah was coming back, whatever else. Maybe you know you're looking for a bit more of a, a transition year. Um, but they they have a great team on the floor. They got some great coaches, and um, they put themselves in a position to at least be competitive and, and certainly compete for the league title. Towson looks real good, uh, real real good. I'm just looking at net ratings and RPI. Towson and Elon are both in the top sixty right now in RPI. Um, Trucks will sit in one twelve. So some separation there, but you know, that's, you're gonna have those opportunities. Uh, it's a nice thing about the CA on the women's side; they have, they have some elite programs. So you have a chance to prove yourself out a little bit. Probably won't be in the at-large conversation. Certainly, if you sweep the league, you probably will be. But that's probably what it would take. Yeah. So yeah, so fun week coming up. You know, get a chance, take a look, and we'll see what happens. So, all right. Um, so we've got three men's games to talk about. So, um, so. On the 11th, so tomorrow will be a week ago, uh, Drexel losing to Delaware, 81-77 at home. Uh, so, Dan, what were your general thoughts on on that game last week? All right. I guess, you know, we, we do have these little pre-show meetings, and we didn't talk about COVID this time for the first time. <laughs> but I think we do actually need to touch on COVID for a second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, James Butler's obviously been down. Uh, I don't think COVID affected the Delaware game, but Delaware was, was – um, where JB got hurt, if I'm correct. Um, and speaking of, what do you what do you know about his situation? Is it post COVID? Yeah, sorry, JB got hurt in the Towson game. He was out for the Delaware game. He was out, out for all three games this week. Um, I know he took a couple of knocks in, in the Towson game. Uh, I think this one is lingering. Um, you know, from the sounds of it, looking at Coach Biker's post game from last week and um, some other sources I'm talking to, I think week to week more than day to day. Um, oh, wow. okay. So he was never really uh, in it for this weekend, my opinion. You know, I think they're they're hoping for next week. Um, but with Elon and William and Mary at home, I think Elon's a decent team. They they should, certainly showed up today against Ace Madison. But do you push him, or do you wait for him to get to get fully right? Um, I, either one of those teams can give you a hard game. But the way the Dragons are looking right now, um, much credit to Amari Williams. You know, if if he's in a position where he's borderline, maybe I address him. And if Mars in foul trouble, if he needs some minutes, you know, maybe he, he does an abbreviated minute stretch off the bench and gets himself back ready. But you're a long way from really knowing that. I think it's going to depend how this week plays out. How, you know, I don't know um, how much the coaches know from they've been on the road. He's been back at Drexel, right? So um, that piece of it, we'll find out. Obviously, Amari Williams is a big story this week, so we'll talk about that too. Um, but just touching on this road trip here, where they went out with seven scholarship players. Um, I guess somebody said Luke House was dressed on the end of the bench, but wasn't there. So, so House was probably not a COVID guy. I think he's he's been through it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we know uh, they were named on the message board, and I think it's, it's fairly verified at this point. 
Uh, Lamar Odin, Trey Brown, a name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, I went out with COVID. The freshman class is all out injured, actually, as it turns out. Um, I don't think we knew that because we never saw them play. So those two players were both out hurt. Um, So it's just kind of um, – I know you said you jinxed us. We spelled that injury. I didn't say the word injury. (laughs) But uh, the last podcast there. So uh, we're just down a lot of people at once. Um, And obviously Delaware – tell you what, I mean, I thought Delaware – you could tell it was our first game without JB. You could tell Amari's still a little um, raw. But they played well. They played hard. The thing is, they played offense really well. All three of these games, with the small lineup, they played offense extremely well. Mm-hmm. Points per possessions are fairly off the chart. It's the defense that you worry about with JB out a little bit, which is surprising because people say he's not a rim defender. He's not, but he's a big body in the paint who knows where to be and he positions himself well. Like if we talk about you know Drexel Bigman, Sammy Givens is pretty a good rebounder. Mm-hmm. He was six five. Sometimes it's more about the other you know pieces of the game and what you do than it is playing above the rim. And I think JB. Really, within our fan base in particular, within the Drexel fan base in particular, doesn't get the credit he deserves. Certainly around the conference, but he, he's making the second first team. I mean, they're giving him respect around the conference. I don't think our fans appreciate all that JB does in there. Uh, I think I said this last week on the podcast, but he takes a beating game in, game out, and he's strong. He's just, you see the strength difference between him and Amari and some of the rebounds that Amari can't get to. That's that a, I was, was going to save it for later, but I think we'll have this conversation now, you know, cause people are like, Oh, well, Butler's out. So, uh, you know, are we, are we better or worse without him? Because in some sense, you know, Amari's picked up well. I'm, you're saying you definitely think Butler were, were worse without him. I mean, you, you don't even think twice. I think, I don't think twice um, for two reasons. Um, offensively, we're better with him. Uh, he's a better offensive player than Amari right now. Uh, runs the pick and roll better. He's just more used to being on the floor. Yeah, I don't think there's any question on the offensive end that we are a better team with him. Having said that, the, again, the offensive numbers have been off the charts because the guard play has been so good this past week. Um, the flip side, uh, I think we're a better defensive team with Amari um, on the court. The flip flip side, he can't play forty minutes, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's really we got killed in the Delaware game when Amari was off the court when when Malik Martin was playing the five for the first time. Malik Martin's a, a fifth year guy who's um, never played the five. You, you're throwing him down there against some big bodies, Dylan Painter, uh, and I don't give Martin Ingles very much credit because Dylan Painter never came in the paint. Yeah. He, never came, he never. It was unbelievable to me, <laughs> unbelievable. But then you see it. You saw it happen again at Northeastern. It's a pretty big team. You saw it happening against the Hafstra. Nobody wants any part of Mario Williams right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it's it's really interesting to watch see the coaches kind of react and just just steer clear. It's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I think at least a minimum for the depth issues. But I guess you know one thing you watch is you you know you know Butler. I mean, I love him too, but I love rebounders and everything. But you know, you, you see the upside in Amari versus you know Butler where he is in at his stage of his career. So you know, good. Amari can be, um, but, you know, so that's why it's tempting to say, you know, and, and even me, I have to kind of stop myself a second. It's something to say that, you know, we're better with Amari, but, um, but yeah, Butler brings enough things to the table. It's certainly his depth is big and to have him. And, and like you said, Amari just has a little bit of rawness that he's still putting together. Like, I mean, I thought in the Delaware game, you know, we had 15 points and we focused on the offense. I, I felt like we did a good job getting it to him, but in some sense, if he made some little plays, you know, he could have had more. I felt like I thought he had some opportunities to dominate the game even more, but he's not quite as polished yet. I feel like so. So, so just some stats for you, just to back up my guy JB here. 
Um, and I never thought I'd actually be defending him because uh, uh, he's, he's a great player on his own right now. I don't think he needs to, but uh, you know, I think and he does have his limitations. So, so we'll go there too. We'll talk about that. I think that's a sticking point. You know, there's you know, he's not going to be the guy that's going to you know block you know be like a monster shot blocker. So that's where you get stuck with him. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, what other thoughts stats you have and everything? Yeah, well, JB's a 74% free throw shooter. You know, Omari's hit 57% so far this season. That's a big difference in the paint. Big, big difference determining factor in games like today. Although I think he, he did all right from the line today. Um, and, and JB is fourth in the country right now in defensive rebound percentage. The number of rebounds he gets for his team on the defensive glass. Fourth in the country, um, which is a staggering, staggering number. Yeah. He's getting a third of his shots from the opponent right now. Yeah, and something about Amari, it's like there's some plays he just – I didn't feel like he'd swat at the ball or he'd go one hand with it. He wasn't strong with it. And that's the thing, you know, with Butler, he's going to get two hands on the ball and be strong. So, And that's the yeah. difference those two. And the beautiful thing is that's teachable, right? I mean, Amari's he's a big dude. He looks like he's got a body. He can certainly grow into a strong – he's listed 250. I mean, he's, he's, he's not, he takes up some space. He's a load. Yeah. So he's strong enough to pull those down. He just hasn't been doing it yet. Um, so some fun- fundamentals – Probably and again he came up in in high school. My understanding is he was playing a lot of guard type of stuff. He's playing in, in, in you know um, he was taking taking perimeter shots and he's moving the, that way from time to time and, and kind of he's, he was recruited here because he's a great passer. He's a great ball handler and you, you saw that today in Hofstra. Yeah. He is he's all of those things, but he's got some teachable skills on the inside for sure. Yeah, and he's he's not there yet, and that's the exciting thing because we say all of that about him being raw, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Block percentage right now for Amari Williams, limited minutes, yes, but block percentage is 10.6. So opponent comes at him 10, 10% of the time, he's swatting it. Chaz Crawford's senior year, it was 11%. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about Crawford. And, yeah, I mean, again, you see the upside of Amari Williams and and how good he can be. And, I mean, I almost feel like he could be a better offensive player than what Crawford was. I mean, he wasn't really yeah, really a post guy. That was Eligar, but um, – yeah, I mean that's what's tempting with Amari. You just I, I feel like the sky's the limit right now for him. So the upside, the upside looks like Rob Battle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does. I mean, it, it, it's a name and rafters type of upside. I mean, it, it's 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 pretty awesome to see. So mm-hmm. obviously a lot of excitement there. Mm-hmm. Um, right. obviously, obviously a lot going on, but he's still raw. And and again, he needs a backup. <laughs> he doesn't have one. That's that's yeah. the biggest thing. You need one of those guys on the floor at all times. I guess one so, of the one of the challenges against Delaware, you know, is it's the mid range game. You know, is, you know, Ryan Allen killed us. He had twenty three points. He was ten of eighteen. So, um, so that's unfortunately as good as you know maybe Mari is there on the post defense. I feel like out on the perimeter, we're still not doing a good job. I think in modern basketball, they're going to tell you the mid range shot is the one you want to give up. So they're not complaining too much. I thought Jalen Ray had Xavier Bell on him in today's game. Um, I'm lumping these games together because they kind of played out similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Ryan Allen made some circus shots. I mean, he really – he was a graduate student, senior, and I, I guess he was injured on uh, Saturday, by the way. So I don't know what his status is right now. I don't even know. I'm assuming he's not playing tonight, but um, wishing the best for him at this point because you, you don't want to see a guy, especially a senior, go down like that. But Ryan Allen, talented kid, and he showed it. Right? He just – he hit tough shots. Delaware hit tough shots, and, and they deserve to win the game ultimately. Mm-hmm. I think when Drexel showed up without Butler, people were worried, you know, Dylan Painter, this, that, and the other. Those, they kind of were able to handle it again, except for when Amari was out of the game and the guys just got run through. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference in the game. That was, you know, when, when Malik was at the five that game, and that's not a knock on Malik, that's just a knock on we hit five cards on the floor, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I watched Coach Spiker's post game. I forget when you guys text messaged me, and it, you know, he made a comment, you know, how, why did you come back in the second half? And he said, Something effective. I had guys who played harder in the second half, and 
Um, you know, you, you mentioned I, to me, I thought Bell and Martin were the two guys that, you know, kind of play that, that, that I guess triggered us came in and played with some emotion. Did you feel that way too? Or what do you think? Yeah. I don't want to put another name in there, which is uh, Matei Yurik. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. I agree. Yep. You yep. know, he's been, he was an on floor. Those three guys, I, I nail on the head. I saw the exact same thing, Nate, and you saw it all kind of week long. Um, especially X, and you knew this about him, but Malik's, Malik's got uh, a great chip on his shoulder that he plays with. Um, it can hurt you at times, but it helps you a lot. And they needed some guys because Cam Winters is a great player. He's a great leader. He's not that guy who's going to you know, start a fight on the floor. Yeah. You know, and you don't want him yeah. to. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> we, we need some guys who, who kind of are going to throw an elbow from time to time and let people know they're there yeah. and not get pushed around because this team has been accused of being a little soft at times. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's a fair accusation. I think the first half of that game was a great um, – <laughs> you could sell it. If you look at that tape, you would say, yeah, these guys played a little soft. They, they needed – that's another place where JB helps them out, right? Yeah. I think just uh, – the word I use, I have skittish. I mean, we just – you know, I think Delaware wanted to play a little quicker pace, and, and we realized they weren't missing shots, and we felt like we needed to keep up with them, and I thought we kind of got out of sorts and started throwing the ball over. But um, but but now I, I bell down at 18 points and Martin at 16 points in the second. I, I don't know how much that was in the second half, but um, but yeah, they they settled things down for us and and I think picked it up on the defensive end too and and helped us get back into it. But, yeah, I think I think that's it's a big thing. You know, again, you, you don't want to have kind of two uh, moral moral victories in a week. In a week's time, I think this team kind of had that. I think they were proud of how they left against Delaware. I think you, f- you didn't feel good losing to Delaware at home, even without JB. Yeah. But you felt like they, they put in the comeback effort. They got close. Um, you didn't go feel terrible coming out of there. And they kind of carried that through the whole weekend. Um, and I think that was great. Again, I think Hofstra was a game where, man, they, they Estrada and m- more Rafe to me made some really tough shots. Yeah, I, I said it to somebody today. I said, I think they made more contested shots in this game than we take in three to four games. Yeah. And the Drexel offense is, is, is good enough. We don't get take a lot of contested shots. If you look at Drexel games, they don't take a ton of contested shots. Really? Our, and our guys get pretty good looks. I think you were, you were in my ear too with, with like the, the mid-range shot. I'm like, great, you know, we're forcing mid-range shots until they kill you. Like I have more confidence. Honestly, I'll take that from Delaware because I think we could go down there and we've seen that over the years where they just can't make anything and you, you end up, they, they, they fall flat on their face. Hofstra, I don't know. We'll see what they do, but um, but yeah, I mean, you felt good about giving up those shots, but I mean, they just kept making them. Delaware just kept making them, and, and you know, couldn't keep up. So, um, but but uh, and then you know, and and just for the northeastern game too, and, and kind of carrying over it, you know, as far as people, you know, we we only had seven players, um, but like we just talked about, I was like, I felt we had the right guys. You know, did you feel that way too? I mean, only seven, but if, you know, if you're going to take seven up there, I felt like we had what we needed. I think you were at least a front court player short. You know, I think that that's where they were really exposed because, you know, so so let's say, you know, JB's out, you're playing Amari. Amari goes to the bench, you got to slide Malik over. Well, now you got to slide Akros to the four. Now you got multiple guys playing out of position. It's kind of a mess. So I think the fact that, you know, most of the guys out, Trey Brown accepted, were in the front court, um, hurt, hurt this, this rest of the regular rotation guys who were out, really, really hurt. Having said that, yeah, you could do a lot worse than the seven you brought, right? And I thought, you know, because Cam Evans yeah, yeah, I had all kinds of nightmare scenarios as to who we, who we might bring when I heard there was going to be seven. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty happy when it was that seven. I was really happy with the way they decided to go about it. They pushed pace. Mm-hmm. 
they push the pace at Northeastern, which we really haven't seen them do in quite some time. But Northeastern's a big team. Uh, we know that they, they're, I think their point guard's six two, and he looks small on the court because everybody else around him is like six seven. Yeah, I feel like it's the same guy at every position when you watch him. I think that's what they're going yeah. for. I think it's, it's what everybody, everybody wants some kind of wing forward at every position now, mm-hmm. if they can do it, and maybe a point guard out there. And that's kind of what they do. I thought Shaq Walters was his first game back for Northeastern. He looked really poor. Um, he had to call a guy out, but he just didn't look on the pay. I mean, he at one point stole the ball from, from Jamal Telford, his own point guard. You know, it was just kind of what is going on out there. And for a Bill Cohn team, you know, he's, he's usually the prince of all coaches in the CA, right? Everybody looks at Bill Cohn. It was really shocking to see kind of how disjointed they were. They weren't on the same page. That's um, like, yeah, I felt like it. So, yeah, we, we didn't have both our post guys, but I felt like I felt like Northeastern just settled. Like, Jogo, I mean, he'd, he'd take whatever three-point each shot he wanted. It seemed like Telford was the only guy that would go to the basket. So, in a sense, I felt like they bailed us out in that in that respect by not really going to the rim. Well, Jogo went 4-7 from three. So, uh, if I was Bill Cohen, I'd tell him to keep taking any three-point shot he wants. But, yeah, to your point, and again, this may be Amari, this may be who we played in this, but that's a big team. You would expect them to be. We have no depth up front, even if it, even if Amari's a great shot blocker. You expect you go at him, get him out of the game because there's literally nobody behind him. Yeah. And then you're six, seven, six, eight all over the court and, and just dominate inside. And they didn't do it. You're right. Mm-hmm. They took 21 threes and 32 twos. So I mean, they took a lot of a lot of threes. Yeah. Um, when all that successful from three, they got to the line a little bit, but it just it wasn't a very good performance um, from them. And the flip side, Cam Winter had a great game. Really one of the best games I've seen him play, especially uh, that second half. Second half was exceptional. Um, I, I put some stuff on Twitter at the start to say half stats. They, they were obscene. They were really, really good. Um, Malik Martin, again, not only puts up 12-6 or 12-7 and 3, but he does it while playing out of position for about 10 minutes. You know, that's, that's a really impressive line from him. We'll talk about Expel. He, you know, he, he only had 11 points and uh, – Three assists, three assists, and three rebounds in this game. That's we may be hitting the point now where we start looking at that as a bad game for Jacob. <laughs> so we have to talk about that too. And then, you know, Amari goes and, and ends up with twelve points. A lot of that was kind of cheapy dunks at the end, but twelve points he gets the ten boards. Gets yeah. a double double. His first double double and five blocks. Yeah, five seven. blocks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just a monster. You know, every everybody played their role. I think Calvin Hicks would be happy. I thought, I thought it was the best game we played all year to this point. I don't know how you felt. But that's what I thought. I love seeing us run. I, I also think, you know, Northeastern again, they didn't they didn't apply pressure. I don't think I still don't think we responded to pressure well. I think yeah, running yeah, helped, that, helped us yeah. avoid it. I think running running helps us avoid it. And you know, when they applied pressure at the end of the game, obviously we had a couple turnovers. I'm surprised we're not seeing teams in the CA come out and try to attack us, attack our guards more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we saw teams like Abilene in the out of conference who uh, Abilene is like number one in the country at it, so mm-hmm. it's overstating. But we've seen teams really kind of try to exploit that. Syracuse did a decent job turning us over again on a big long team, kind of like Northeastern. Yeah, um, and you didn't see them do it. So again, I'm I'm surprised a little bit. Uh, I think Bill Cohn, he was away from the team for a little bit with COVID, but certainly I would think a coach being away would still have impact. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I'm very interested in tonight's game with Delaware. I want to. I'll, I'll peek. I'll take a peek at the score of that in a second. Yeah, um, uh, coming up, you're you know headed up to that. You're like, well, they're they're a wounded animal. They were what 0 4 in the conference or 0 3 going in and. But maybe they're they're winless for a reason. They're just not a very good team. So, but I thought, and in a sense, I, I know we we picked up the time. We were we out, it was twenty nine to five. The fast break point advantage for for us. But I thought the first half we played really well under control. 
And then, yeah, it was a little bit more of a track meet in the second half, but we were smart about it. I mean, just, I was just really impressed by how we and, – and really, in a sense, that early on we missed a lot of open shots. Uh, we executed the half court really well, and, and it, was, it, it wasn't until the second half we shot, what, 71% that we really started to take it to them. But I just really thought we played well. And that's, that's part of where I said, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we had seven guys, and, yeah, you'd love to have your backups, you know, two centers and whatnot. But we have what we needed, especially the way we matched up, so – worked out yeah give you some perspective i mean to your point 71 percent in the second half i think we were eight of eight from the line too and we basically of, played the perfect second half we didn't put them away our defense didn't put them away they, the northeastern scored actually okay mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's was our offense that created separation you, you want to see better from the defense we still have work to do there that's what i would say and i think that was really overshadowed the defensive weaknesses of the team were overshadowed by how good the offense has been mm-hmm. we've really been rolling the last few weeks and even we didn't shoot the three especially well today um, or in the first half at Northeastern. But, you know, there's been enough else going on. Uh, we've, we found the points almost everywhere on the floor. You get JB back, that's going to be helped out too. But you still got to find some solutions on defense at some point, or you're not going to really go into a, a really good team. Well, you I, may not have a really good team and win. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned too, Cam. I mean, I, I think he went to the line when we were starting to choke the game away. And I, I think he had a one and one. And I said to Melissa, I'm like, this brings back. My wife, Melissa, I was like, that brings back memories of the Princeton game where he had a one and one and missed it. That probably would have sealed the game. But yeah, he was, I think most of that eight of eight from him was at the end. If I'm not, I don't know how much of it, but at least a number of those free throws were when we really needed it to survive. And that's what you want out of him is you're, you're all everything point guard. You, know, you expect him to make big shots and, and, you know, be the guy that settles things down. And I think he was when things almost got away from us. So, um, yeah, night, really nice win on uh, Saturday. Really liked how that went down. So, and one quick um, note here: we'll get you the, the the live play-by-play. But Delaware Northeastern at the half. Delaware is up thirty-nine twenty-nine. They do have Ryan Allen in that game, um, but it's another case. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Delaware shot sixty percent from three, perfect from the from the line, and has uh, nine points off turnover to Northeastern zero. Mm. It looks a lot like our score line against Northeastern did. There's a chance they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we're gonna have to say. They're zero and six, and they just get swept at home. You know, Delaware's kind of wounded. Allen's hurt. This is the second game of a back-to-back. They just had to cut it out against Hofstra the other day. Mm. You got to go right up, right up to Northeastern. That's a, not an easy trip, and. You know, we'll see if Northeastern finds something in the second half here. But if they don't, you know, you, you really got to look at them and say this: this is this could be a really, really rough year for them. Yeah, I, I, the Towson game it was the score ended up close, but Towson was really ten to fifteen points better than them. And I thought we could have pulled. We were up twelve, you know, and, and so the games are and now they're down ten to Delaware. So it's not like they're losing close, like we lost close today, and they're getting smacked around a little bit. So yeah, they're they're in trouble, but. Yeah, they've had they've had a tough schedule today, but yeah, they're in, they're they're third of the way through the season after this game. You know, yeah. there's there's six games of an eighteen game season. It's not like this doesn't won't just go away. Yeah, and me personally, I, I like you said, let's have five big guys that can shoot. Hate that. Hate. That's why I want to start about talking about women's basketball, ball movement, inside outside. You know, it's part of you know the way basketballs played these days that I just can't stand, and that's why I like. You know, again, we can go inside to Amari Williams. We're talking about Butler, you know, and then we can go out. We got a guy like like Bell who wants to get into the paint. Um, it, that's how basketball's played. So I, I, I will be disappointed if if Northeastern's a train wreck trying to play that way. And we'll see what happens. But um, but anyway, um, so today we, and uh, we're kind of like the post game show. Um, Drexel losing to Hofstra seventy one sixty eight. 
I thought this was a really good game to watch. I agreed with the, the I thought it was well played on both sides. Um, that, I mean, obviously things we could do better, but I didn't think a, a whole lot was done to lose the game. Maybe stupid plays, that sort of thing. Um, Hofstra just made enough shots at the end. You, you mentioned already Ray and Estrada. I mean, they were deadly from that mid range game and just made the plays at the end. Yeah. I mean, Jalen goes four or five from two, which were, I think all mid range, just about, um, and then Estrada, I mean, talk about a volume shooter. He had 26 points. He was on 24 shots. So it wasn't like, you know, he had a great, highly efficient day, but he also had eight assists to one turnover. So that tells you he was pretty deadly. Um, but he did a nice job on Silverio. He did nothing. Uh, to bars, name wasn't mentioned about, and the guys inside. Uh, now they're missing some guys inside, but the guys uh, Iola and, uh, and Simmons. Simmons just tried to throw his body around uh, and mess with Amari, and Amari walked out of that game with two fouls, maybe three fouls on him, which is impressive because they they really they, those guys did try to body him up a little bit. And he showed some fundamentals there for a guy who we call raw. You know, he was he, he stood his ground. And, uh, again, two more blocks today. He did have three turnovers, but. He ends up with uh, just four points with a nine rebounds, two assists, um, and two blocks. So, again, filling up the score sheet a little bit. Um, Malik Martin, another nice game. But, obviously, and all anybody's going to want to talk about, you know, is going to be uh, one Xavier Bell, now the most famous Bell in Philadelphia. Pardon me, Liberty Bell. Right? I mean, David Bell, take a back seat. Oh, any anybody related to David Bell who's played baseball? Take a back seat. I remember him. I th- those are college days when I used to go to games at the vet. I, yeah, I saw a lot of David Bell. Probably about as expressionless as I typically am. That was his <laughs> reputation. So it's true. It's true. We probably yeah. went to a lot of those games. Yeah, I brought up broke up my J roll jersey today just just for this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean he's. Um, I'm looking at this now. I mean it was he was he was. Um, I got a great text. I hope he'll be okay with me saying this on the air here, but Bill Martin texted me and he said, when I was watching his, you know, high school tapes when he was recruited, because uh, Bill's, you know, he's a big recruiting guy. He says, you know, he had a post-up game in high school that I didn't think was going to translate because he's, you know, 6'3". Mm-hmm. And damn if he didn't try to post up three <laughs> Hofstra guys at once in this game and hit and go to the line. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was 10 of 11 from two today. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of six from three. He had 30 points. Tremendously efficient. 17 shots, 30 points. Only went the line once. So that tells you just how deadly efficient he was in the field. Also had five assists, um, a defensive rebound. Um, you know, on a day where Cam, you know, it was a big day for Cam. It was an emotional day for Cam. I'm sure his last game up in Hempstead uh, in college. That's where he's from. But, you know, Cam did end up, he still ended up with 13, 7 at 2. So it's not like Cam, Cam was poor. Um, but, you know, X kind of took over that offense and made some big plays and, and kept us in that for a big chunk of that ride. Yeah. Uh, Akrus went two or five for three. They were all clean looks. You would like to see, you know, you're not going to complain about 40%. Man, a couple of those looked like they were going to go down, and that's the difference in the game, right? So that's always one we want to take back. Yeah. Uh, Coltrane, again, kind of similar story, one of three. You're not unhappy with his performance, um, but he has nice looks. But again, I think Yurik scrapped it up with some of their offensive players and, and kind of gave them a hard time. I think uh, I, I was actually trying to really in the second half watch Bell defensively, and he really impressed me. I know he was on Ray, and I know Ray walked away with twenty three points. And you're gonna tell me I'm crazy, but the way he fights through screens, uh, the way the way he stuck to, I mean, he made life Ray Ray's life hard. Mm-hmm. That's all I can tell you. Um, it was he earned every bit of those twenty three points, Jalen Ray. I mean, that's it was a it's almost what you expect from Hofstra senior guards at this point, right? Feel like every Hofstra senior guard is going to be CAA Player of the Year, and instead, I thought Jalen Ray was one of my All First Team players going in. He's being overshadowed by Estrada now, 
and again they didn't they were missing um one of their key players too and I'm I'm blanking on that. So so they were down a guy, but um yeah, they've got they've got three guys who could certainly compete for all CA first team on that team. They're a really good team. My thought going into that game was that we have a seven man Drexel team who just chose chose to run run and gun for the first time all season. They're gonna be exhausted. Mm-hmm. They got a drive from Boston to Hempstead, which isn't a treat either after the game in Northeastern and mm-hmm. uh hang out through a snow snowstorm, show up and get spanked by a really talented team. Mm-hmm. And they showed up and they showed up. They showed up to win that game. I mean, yeah. Hofstra only shot 25% from three. And again, you give up the mid-range games because you can cover that a little bit better. And then they did that against a really, really good three-point shooting team. They limited them. And I thought it was both because those looks weren't very clean from three. I, I guess, you know, that, and of course, Hofstra was looking at it and they're like, well, if we had just done this and that to stop Bell, you know, we win the game easily. I, I mean, what what do you think we could have? I, I know it's a mid range game, but when a team when the team is pouring in mid range shots and Estrada, that's his game, and that's what he he does. What, what do you was there anything you thought we could have done different to try to take that away? He he at one point did a step back from I don't know just in front of the three point line, and it's almost an on the line too uh, as a step back over Amari Williams. Mm-hmm. If you want to defend that better, you know I I literally tackle the guy. You know, some of these shots were just – you have to tip your hat sometimes and just say, man, you know, I mean, I think Xavier Bell actually had a block on one of those on the baseline. I mean, they were in the grill. Um, I feel like I feel like we closed out. I feel like we could close out a little harder. I mean, it, it, a couple of the other things – a couple of times it felt like Amari Williams could have been, you know, maybe a little bit closer to the perimeter and, and dare them to dump it behind him, like a cutter or something. Um, you know, yeah, I don't so- – yeah, like a three-two zone. I don't know if that you know just put those bodies in that area so that you're you're right. You you take that away. I'm just trying to think of what we could have done because that was a difference. In the yeah, game. some of the switches on the pick and roll between between Cam and Amari weren't weren't very clean. Mm-hmm. Um, again, two guys kind of getting used to it, and it's never really quite frankly been Cam's strong point, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's there's some of that stuff that certainly you'd love to clean up. I mean, you want to throw a zone at him at some point, you can, but they're going to just crush you for three if you do that. You can't throw a zone against these guys. Uh, Jalen Cooks, by the way, or Zach Cooks was the, was the name I was looking for, who's you know another player of the year contender who they were missing today. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, both these teams were missing significant pieces. Um, yeah, this, is, this team went down to Alabama and won. You know, they're a good team. This was, was on their home court. It was the back end of a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. You showed up with seven guys and you competed. You were tied with a minute or two to go. I'm not going to complain about any of this. I thought they were going to get smoked. Yeah. No, and, and you watch it, you're like, hey, people always say, oh, are we watching a CAA championship preview? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But that, that, that was a well-played game on both sides. That's why, yeah, like, you 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 start to split hairs. Like you said, with Oak, I'm glad you brought up Okros because, you know, we haven't talked to him about this much. I, I mean, I, I, I'd like to see him add another dimension to his game. I feel like there have been a few times where he's caught it in the, in the corner and, they, they close out or he's got a chance to drive and you like to see him just one time drive that baseline and like Tomahawk jam, like on in somebody's face, but that's just not him. But you like at some point, you know, maybe that would be him. And he kind of adds that dimension. Um, you know, same with, same with Washington. You know, I, I think it's nice to see him. Um, you know, he, I mean, he took that one long three, but I, I liked what he did. I don't have any complaints, but see if we could get some other dimensions into their game soon instead of just being spot shooters. Yeah, I know. I think you're right about that. I think um, we talked about that, especially about Akers for a while. 
he, we showed flashes at times this year, but you know, he's never going to be the taking the ball first. That's where Xavier is, is special. Yeah. And, and I'm using that word. And, and I, I brought it a stat. I dropped it on Twitter earlier today. I don't know if you saw it because I was basically Twitter bombing during the basketball game. I tried not to because I wanted to hear fright straight from you. I, I was like, I'm not going to okay. look at his tweets. I'm going <laughs> right. to. This, this is a cool one then. This is a cool yeah. stat. I dug, actually, so so the, the funny thing about this stat is I dug it up yesterday before X came out and, and really uh, crushed it. I have no idea if they call him X, by the way. Um, before Xavier came out and uh, and crushed it is, uh, let me, I've, I've got it here. There's, he, he's shooting over 50% from two from two, from inside the arc, career now. Here's the list, since Bruiser Flint showed up at Drexel, of guys who have done that. Zach Walton, playing basketball professionally. Uh, Isabel, playing basketball, uh, Jermaine Isabel, playing basketball professionally. Kyrie Johnson, how about that, playing basketball professionally. Damian Lee, playing basketball, I think, professionally. <laughs> Bashir Mason, Division One head coach. What are you sound like to see him coach? That's on my list of things to do. To you know, you you see, you know, we, we go to the Kings Royal, we make these trips, and I want to see Bashir Mason coach. So one of these times, but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm I'd love to go with you. Yeah, the rest of your list. The rest of the rest of your yeah. list is Tim Whitworth, who played professionally, and Jeremiah King's the only one I don't know for sure. Played professionally after after school. I think he did, but I, I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So everybody basically has gotten paid um, significantly. And, and really had successful careers after the left Drexel, who's, who's been able to shoot 50% from two as a guard. It happens frequently as a center. As a big man, you don't see the guards do that a whole lot. You know, uh, he's smashing it this year. Xavier, obviously 10 of 11 from two today was exemplary. Uh, but he's doing it with, with mid-range shots. He's doing that in the paint, posting up. He's, fin- he's, he's the best finisher I think I've seen as a dragon since Damien, um, certainly. You know, he gets the line. He, he takes the foul. But he doesn't, unlike, say, Tremaine, who goes in there, tries to get the foul, and throws it up. He completes the play. Like, X takes a hit and keep, just keeps going. Right? And that's cool to see. Um, so, you know, he's kind of stronger than he looks, I think, probably. And the three-point games come along nicely. So, you gotta, again, we talked about, you know, I, I don't want to make this too much of a fan show here. But, like, if, if, if you're going to really tell me that Amari Williams' ceiling is Rob Battle, and we're going to say that's not crazy, and that... Xavier Bell is, is having, you know, professional, you know, really good professional league type numbers as a sophomore. I want to tell you that this, this team's going to be, you know, again, every, every, every podcast I say, the sophomore class is special. Yeah. It's just special. It's really got all the looks of it. Uh, you combine that with a, with a big group of seniors here. You just look down our positions right now and you see you've got Butler and Amari at the five. You're feeling really good there. Yeah. Um, Malik and Odin at the four. You're feeling pretty good there. Um, you know, uh, any number of shooters, but namely Okris at three. You're feeling good there. And then you bell, him, bell at the two, who's looking like he could be really something. And then you put the CAA preseason player of the year at the one. Mm-hmm. Like, if this team isn't in the championship game this year, we should be probably disappointed. And I know um, the flip side to this, right, is we came in today and thought they were going to get smoked. And they were competitive, and I'm happy, right? You, you want to set your expectations low? Zach Speckle will tell you why you can't set your expectations low. And I'm setting them really high right now and saying they need yeah. to be in the championship game. You should be this. But they really – like, there's so much talent on this team. If they can stay healthy, stay together. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think – and, and I just possibly – because I think they made a comment in the broadcast about how Amari's like a pro prospect. And I'm like, you know, these days with the – that's not going to be this year, but the transfer, transfer portal days, it's like, man, you, you, you just hope those guys, the vultures, stay away. 
you know, and, and, and they'll kind of try to nab these guys because not just this year, right? but that's why it's important. You get a chance to win a title. You got to win a title because you never know what the future is going to bring. So um, you can never know what the future is going to bring. And certainly a guy like him would be uh, welcomed anywhere. But I think he, you know, he's here with his high school teammate, you know, and, and he's not connected to a locality. You know, he's not from the States. I think that helps you out a little bit. Uh, and I think more importantly, you know, I don't think he comes here if, 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 uh, if Matei, uh, Cruz wasn't wasn't having a great time, right? If he if he didn't kind of help with the recruitment, yeah. so they're they're having fun. They're being at Drexel. They're competitive. They're having a good time here. They want to play here. Zach Spector says he wants to have kids who want to be here. They're kids who want to be here. So I think you've got um you got a chance to to keep them around hopefully, yeah. and then um you know yeah I think again with that core you say oh, you guys you three guys stick together you're gonna you're gonna be special together. I, I'd want to be a part of that. Just me, but and let's give. I, I think we've done a good job. We've we mentioned like every name. Well, you've you've mentioned Coach Spiker a few times, but just to be specific, yeah, give him credit for this weekend. I mean, you know, again to be shorthanded and the way we executed in the half court and played, yeah, offense. I mean, defense we have to improve. And then, I mean, I, a lot of me was sitting those last few years waiting for recruiting. It's like, when are we going to start getting players in here that you know that can compete at at this level? And he is, and it seems like, I mean. I don't follow this, you know, as close as some people, but, you know, if we're picking guys off that have professional type, you know, pedigrees and stuff, then, I mean, you have to believe he's doing the diamond in the rough kind of stuff that we probably thought you had to, you weren't going to get the big time, you know, even three, four, five star player, but you had to find a guy and, and develop him. And that seems like what we're doing now. No, you're hundred percent right. I'd love to get Bill Martin on, on that, but I think you're hundred percent right about that. You know, I don't think, People were clamoring for Xavier Bell out of school. Um, he had a, he had other invitations certainly, but brought him in here and, and you're turning him into something. They're using that toughness. What I love about the the pickup of Bell in particular is that he's he's a Bruiser Flint guy, right? When you think about our teams over the years, right? And you know he's six three, he's tough. You know he comes in a little raw, raw more raw as a shooter, mm-hmm. and um, then all of a sudden you know. He's developed into this, which is great, but it feels like a Bruce Flint guy. It doesn't feel like a Zach Spiker guy. You gotta, you gotta have an outside shot. You gotta be tall, long, want to run. And um, we always said, kind of early on, right? If if Bru just recruited the Spiker as a guy Spiker had, if he had recruited shooters in his system, it would have worked out. I think the inverse is also true. If Spiker recruits guys who are naturally tough and defend. You know that's going to help him out a lot, and he can coach up the other aspects of the game. And his, him and his staff, we give the staff credit as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, very well. So I think they're doing it. I think they they took some shots this this uh, this, this past you know with the sophomore class, and, and they're coming up really looking good. Well, you know, the, the freshman class nobody has any idea about. It. So um, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, hope for something, and then a big year next year for recruiting. Obviously, but as you mentioned that too, it's like you know you think of freshman guards coming in our program who essentially got destroyed. You know, you think of I mean, what's the classic? Was it Colds had like. I mean, just shot the lights out at the Plustera against Penn, and he felt like that was his best game of his career. And, you know, meanwhile, and, and this is kind of splitting hairs. The only thing I noticed in the box score, you know, you, again, you lose a game three points that you thought could have gone either way. You know, Estrada played all 40 minutes today, and he was their star player. You know, Bell, you know, he played 33 minutes. And there were a couple of times they're like, man, leave him on the floor. Um, but you say Bruiser Flint would have ridden him. I mean, he would have, he would have had him out there 40 minutes and beaten him up. Um, so in a sense, you know, it, it is a little different, you know, and I guess in a sense smarter, you know, you give Bell a rest 
Um, but you're used to, I just, I'm just thinking of Bruiser the way yeah, he had a point guard and he, man, he, whether it's, you know, um, you know, Bash or Massinet, I mean, those guys, they were like a, a, a running back who you gave 40 carries to in a game night after night. Um, and, and in a sense, we don't really do that. We don't ride any one particular player and there's probably good and bad to that, I guess. So, um, but can you still hear? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I just yes, uh, lost headphones for a second. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, um, all right. But, um, but yeah, so I, you know, what other, and we'll talk about it, Larry Lyman briefly here too, and here to bring a guest, but I, you know, it's making me think at, at what point do we put the hand, the keys over to the sophomore class? Like, I still feel like Cam is kind of like our point guard and our guy, but I gotta be honest. I, I think there's times I'd almost feel more comfortable if I needed a basket. You know, I, I actually felt that way at Princeton when we let, you know, um, we gave the ball to Cam and said, here, Cam, make a shot. I felt more comfortable with, with Bell being that guy. Do you feel that way too? I think it's unfair. I, I, I think, um, you know, it's kind of like um, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the wide receivers, when they're all healthy anyway, right? When you've got um, two really uh, – maybe the better reference actually is cornerbacks in the NFL, right? There are some really good lockdown corners, and there's some guys who can knock down number two receivers. And then you promote those guys to try to take on the number ones, mm-hmm. and you see what happens. Like, I think Cam takes all the pressure right now. The, the coaches are still game planning for Cam. Now, that will change if X keeps doing this, right? Xavier still keeps doing this. But right now, coach, you know, the defenses are arguing around Cam. Get the ball out of Cam's hands. Don't give him any close shot. You can see it. I mean, when Cam's getting good looks, it's because the ball bounced around a couple of times. We caught a loose ball and someone kicked it out and Cam was standing there, right? Like, that's basically the only open shots he's going to get all game. Xavier's got a little more latitude than that. Um the game playing isn't quite so intense for him. So I don't think we're being totally fair to Cam. I think, again, we take Cam and Butler for granted a lot here. Uh, we're a little spoiled at this point um, as drag, Dragon fans. Uh, we're coming off a championship, and we've, we're looking down the barrel of, of being competitive for another one. Credit to credit to the staff, credit to everybody else, but I think that we've got to you know, let, let the kids grow. I, I think that, though, what you're saying – especially if the coaching staff uses it correctly, is going to be true as people have to not be able to slant pressure over to Cam because they're worried about Bell. Yeah. You know, Cam should have more opportunities. Yeah. And what I really hope for at the end of the season, you know, come come late February, March, is that we have balance. Uh, Cam's still a really good player. Different different type of player. He's not as strong with the ball as, as an Xavier. Xavier's more exciting to watch. And I, I get why. And again, Amari is more exciting to watch than, than James Butler. Um, from a pure fan perspective, right? Who's going to dunk? Who's going to get the blocks? Yeah. Right? Who's going to jump off the page at you? But, you know, pure fundamentals, you know, Cam's still the better player. Pure fundamentals, James Butler's still the better player. Yeah, that's, so, I feel good. Now I feel good. It's like, I don't mean to knock Cam, and I guess ultimately I am. I think the one thing I, I would really like to see out of his game is, is and he, he did that. He, he got the shot, you know, that um, it looked like he got fouled underneath the basket. I think got us within one, and they didn't call it. But every now and then I'd just like to see him, you know what? Effort. I'm driving to the rim. You know, you guys. Either I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the on the glass. I'm either gonna make the shot. You foul me. I go to the line. Like do do something when he's not hitting, and he's kind of quiet offensively. Just kind of get some 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 thirty points. That's the only thing I like to see out of him. And I see that from Bell. And yeah, I, I guess that's the kind of player I like. And and so that I, I guess that's the biggest difference I'm seeing. So the the only thing we saw once today, we saw Cam tuck it under and run once today and he kind of did a little uh, floater in traffic and 
I wish he would do it more. I agree with you. The other side is, and it's one of the big differences between the two players. Xavier's not gonna not gonna care about the contact. Mm-hmm. Cam's gonna pull up a lot of times from six eight feet, and he yeah. hits those shots a lot, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's a different way of doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, personally, probably, and, and Zach Sparkley's gonna be pissed because twenty years from now we're still gonna be talking about Bruiser Flynn at Drexel. But um, <laughs> you know, watching Bruiser's teams, right? I want to see the guy who who goes hard and finishes. Um, I think everybody, just from a fan perspective, wants to see that. Mm-hmm. But if if Cam's way is just as effective, you know, he hit the floor. Yeah, he makes them great, but there are times it's like he seems like he's just missing one after the next. It's like, man, put your head down and get yourself to the free throw line. And I, you yeah, know, I'm so, sure he's heard it times. Yeah. But, you know, he's also a guy they really want to You know, taking a lot of pains in his career to keep out of foul trouble, to keep healthy. He's been taught to avoid this stuff. It's tough to un- unfinish, unlearn it now, just because you suddenly have that. Um, so. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I lean with it. I think there's arguments for all of it. I, you know, I think Cam, I think uh, Matei, I think there's a bunch of guys on this team who would be helped by being more aggressive. Or just seeing Coltrane they make some make some runs now, which is wasn't the guy I expected it from. But you know, I, it's not like they're not teaching or pushing it. I don't think on the staff. I just think that the guys, when they've been effective from a certain place on the floor, when they've when they just have certain moves they're comfortable with. You know, to fall back on them until they're kind of forced otherwise. Mm-hmm. Necessity is the motherhood of invention. Zach Spiker quote again, right? Um, yeah. and, and you and get hurt during that stuff, so so maybe we're saving it for March. But but yeah, we'll we'll see. But but um, but I did want to run a little short on time, I guess. So um, do you want to talk about at least share the realignment news, and maybe we'll talk briefly about it. Yeah. Um, so Mammoth appears from multiple sources. They're in fully in all sports. They would be the one-to-one JMU replacement. They have football. So if you put that aside for a minute and say, hey, we're a 10-team conference, we've shifted, we've shifted a little more north. You lost JMU, you've added Monmouth. Um, you know, that's interesting. It, it, there's a report by John Rothstein, take it for what it's worth, that, that I think Stony Brook and Hampton are in. Um, Hampton's been trying to get here for a long time. They'd be a nice travel partner for William & Mary, yeah. especially if you, say, want to go back. Now let's pin together with the early report out of the Richmond Times-Dispatch that the CA would like to go to divisions. So, and we'll talk about that. I'll talk about that a little bit more with the, uh, the surprise guest if I get him on later this week, hopefully. But um, if, we're, if we're talking about divisions and talking about a lot more schools, that gets a lot more interesting quickly. But those are the schools that we kind of are known to be in the hunt right now. Um, okay. Then there's a rumor on every other school on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> there's only one, and I think it's apt today, um, that I really, really want to talk about um, because I think it would be exciting and I get – the arguments for and against both, but Howard in, in Washington, D.C. is, is um, been bandied about a few times. And if you're bringing in Hampton, which is an old MEAC partner of theirs before they went to the Big South, um, it would almost make sense to bring in Howard and Lockstep. They would also give Towson a tra- travel partner potentially. Yeah. Um, you know, it does a lot of nice things for the conference. They're a great academic institution. Obviously, what they bring from a diversity and, um, you know, the Howard name is real. Like, yeah. like it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'd love to see it happen. I think the CA would love to see it happen. I think my understanding is if they lo- if they leave the MIAC though, the MIAC does not have enough schools left to sponsor football, um, and, and I don't think they would do that to that to that league. There's too much history, right? There's obviously a special bond in that league between those schools, and uh, I don't think they're going to be the ones to expose that. I don't think going to the CAA is worth it to them, you know, to, for the for the hit that they would take, in, you know, um, in their recruiting base. So. 
uh, and and just I think to their own in their own mirrors. So the interesting thing is if what what, what if one of the other MEX schools leaves and they're going to lose football anyway, and that's really possible and that's on the table, and that would give them the face to move. So that's a school I think I'm most interested in at this point. Um, you're going to hear a lot about Albany, Binghamton, Fairfield, Quinnipiac, uh, again, Stony Brook, whether in or not, whether Stony Brook's joined with Albany. Um, and those are just the schools in the north I've been hearing about. Uh, I think if Howard falls through, I think we should be talking about American a little bit. I know they're comfortable in the Patriot, but they wouldn't be a bad school for the CAA. Yeah. Um, and they put some money, you know, ultimately you're going to look at who's basically building new buildings. It's looking like, looking like they're committed to sports. Mammoth is a great example of that. They, they've got, it's a 10-year-old arena at this point, but a, a pretty nice, relevant arena. And they just put $16 million into the football stadium. You're going to be looking at schools like that, probably on 95 corridor with an airport. You know, you're going to bring a metro market. That's kind of what, what you need to be thinking. Um, you know, the other way, who's going to leave, I think, you know, obviously Jamie did, and I'm running out of reasons to see Wilmington remain in the conference. Um, so I think they would they would take, I mean, I think they would take the Big South in a heartbeat. I don't know if they'll, or, uh, sorry, the SoCon in a heartbeat, but I don't know if they'll take them. So, um if they if they leave and where they go to is going to be an interesting case and then so ultimately let's let's take this step back for a second and say if, if there is a division split um how do you fill out the south is going to be a really really hard conversation i i literally sat with a map last night <laughs> with all the colleges on it and try to figure out how you would fill out a southern without wofford or Furman, um which does sounds like there's just not a lot of interest there and it gets really really hard really really fast to find really good candidates so it's going to be interesting to see uh, they can want to have 16 teams you got to get them and they've got to be relevant and on the same page. And it sounds like, or, or however many teams they want to go with, they, it sounds like they also want to have balance in football and basketball, you know, enhance the CAA football at the same time after the loss of JMU. Put themselves in a position, you know, to do things if the NCAA changes as a whole, if, if we see structural changes in college basketball. I guess you said a couple times, you know, with the CAA once, what do you think Drexel wants? Because that's where I stop. It's like I, I don't say much about th- these things because I don't really know where our perspective is. Do you have any sense of what we want? Um, I think if I'm Drexel, I want – and you tell me. But I think if I'm Drexel, I want the following things. Um, the conference that is strong academically. Um, I think they still care about that. I think it's meaningful to them. Um, strong media markets and places we recruit talent from. So the Northeast – predominantly um, you want to be on TV in, in Boston and New York and, and where we're, we're still probably going to be with, with Northeastern and Hofstra or else. Most important to me, if I'm running Drexel right now, I don't want to lose a game of musical chairs. Um, I don't know how much pull Drexel has in the general scheme of things, but what other conference wants Drexel? Like I think the Patriots, Maybe. I know it's been bandied about a bunch, and they're Pennsylvania-centric, so maybe. But I, I don't know it for sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a, a lower conference, the A East or, or the MAC, probably, yeah, you'd get into. But do you want to – I mean, the MAC isn't a great fit for you. The A East would be fine, but, you know, that's it's a slap in the face basically at this point. So you, you how do you get out of this without being slapped in the face? Mm-hmm. You're not going to go to the A-10. There's half of Philadelphia in the A-10 already. You know, you're not going to be the American. They've got temp- it's, there's just you, you check the boxes and say there's not a lot of places to go. So if I'm Drexel, I want to secure CAA first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And when JMU leaves, and if UNCW starts talking about leaving, and if William Mary starts talking about leaving, and if Northeastern starts talking about leaving, <laughs> all of whom have options out of the conference, all of them have options out of the conference right now. Um, you, you you end up 
possibly losing a game of musical chairs where there's not enough teams left to sustain the CAA and you're kind of holding the bag with nowhere to go but down. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Drexel, my number one priority is security of the CAA, which is crazy because the CAA has done not a lot of good for you over the last couple of decades. But listen, John Fry's, um, you know, the chairman of the board of presidents of the CAA right now. We are we are fully in on the CAA. Um, so it's about security. It's about ensuring you can maintain a confidence. I don't think you'd care about football. I don't think you'd be fine divesting it from a Draxel perspective, mm-hmm. but it's important enough to keep, it helps keep members here. You know? Um, yeah. I'm just saying it may be, you know, cause I think you start, what do you, what do you think Drexel is? What, what does Drexel want to be? Who are we? I guess I think about it. We, we can never figure it out. You know, we, we, we have trouble defining that I think. And I think the CAA in a sense has trouble defining that. So maybe that's why it's a perfect fit for us. We're kind of like the, the misfits that can't quite take that next step. You know, it's uh, like for me, the A-10 would have been the next step for us, even though there's so many Philly schools, you know, that didn't happen. And, and then I agree. I, I mean, I don't know that the Patriot would be a step down just because I think it's so an academic type conference. So at least you gain that kind of notoriety. But the MAC and the American East, I think, would be a step down. So just like Drexel, we're sitting right by Penn and, you know, people always have this little insecurity about us. I feel like the CA maybe is the fit for us. And, you know, and then... You know, I was I made a comment on the message board the other day. I mean, you do have to give the commissioner credit, and we'll see how this will all play out. But I mean, it seems like there's a plan to keep the conference alive, and it's something that's like you said, if you, we've been, it's been at risk. I feel like a couple times of complete collapse. So I mean, if you can keep it alive again, I think there needs to be some credit there. But we'll see how this plays out. I'm going to say this um, on Joey D. Um, I don't. I think he's a fine guy. I don't know about him as commissioner. Uh, when when things go wrong, it's quick to defer to while well, the presidents, you know, the, the, the James Madison blew up earlier this year, right? They made it very clear this was a vote from the presidents. I think any expansion or contraction will be a vote from the presidents. You know, I, I don't know that the conference office has a ton to do with it one way or the other. Um, you know, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna divest credit for the pain, they, they need to get it, you know, divested for the success. Um, ultimately, this is, is is the university presidents and ads trying to position themselves as best they can. And to your point, the biggest problem with the CA for a long time has been, you know, what's Wilmington's best sport at this point? It's probably baseball. Mm. Towson's is probably lacrosse. James Madison's is football. You know, William Marys—they don't really know. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's kind of uh, Northeastern's is hockey. Like we're we talking about people basketball. People. That's one of the problems with the conference too. There's no like I keep saying there's no flagship basketball program right now. It's like every year it's somebody different winning the championship. So Yeah, if you had one, you'd probably say it's Northeastern. They've won a couple times in the last six years, but like it's they're not far and away, and certainly this year is gonna be a shot in the football. Yeah, they're 0 five in the conference this year, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, but um Yeah. So it's 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 nobody's got the same mission statement. You know, what they do have for the most part, they they have uh, a couple of things they have they're all pretty good academically um pretty strong academic conference uh and by and large and this is where charleston and elon this was pointed out to me uh, by somebody and and i appreciate it um charleston and elon recruit a lot of students from the northeast they also want to be on tv up here right so when i'm looking at schools in the south who would want to be a part of this league i'm thinking about that who wants to be part of this league in the South because they want to be part of the Northeast media markets? Who wants that exposure? Yeah. And um, that's an interesting question because there are, you know, JMU was a public school, but still recruited a lot from the Northeast. 
there's probably some other public school instances down there. There's certainly what you would think private schools, you know, first and foremost. So it, it's an interesting question that kind of acts out like an app state from the conversation or something like that. Not that you'd be interested. Yeah. You know, when you go through rumor after rumor and look at the universities and say what makes sense, that's why Howard is such an intriguing target. Right. That's why I keep bringing them up because they, they would be a great target. You could put them in the Southern pool and they'd be a great fit for us on, on almost every level. And, and uh, me, I, I personally, I, and ever since I started following Drexel, I feel like anybody South of Richmond, I, I don't have any interest in them. For me, if we kept everything in the Northeast, I'd be happy with that, you know, from a geographic, you know, that's what, that's my other thing. I've always said, I like playing the guys next door and, you know, going down and playing Charleston and Elon, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't, I don't really worry about what they want to do recruiting wise, you know, but, 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 I, but then again, I do, again, if the CA wants to follow that blueprint, there are a lot of other conferences doing that, you know, like the ACC and stuff. Now you could debate, I, I think they've really ruined their football. Or, or, well, actually in some sense their football and their basketball. I think they're both kind of a poor product right now, but that does seem to be the blueprint. Yeah, I have like a North and South, but I'd be fine if we just kept it in the Northeast, to be honest. So in more so DC, you, you know. Make, yeah, the nugget I'll give you won't make you happy, which is the, 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 the consideration for um, divisions would be for Olympic sports only. Um, there would be one conference for basketball. I don't know exactly how they would work the schedule, obviously. Um, you know, I, I think you can be creative with these schedules. I think you're seeing more and more conferences doing that, trying to protect their stronger teams. If you've got 16 teams playing for one crown, you know, that makes it harder for you to make the tournament. Yeah. Like, let's think, you gotta think about that for a second. And, and so how are you, and so that means, it also means that whoever makes the tournament, obviously, you need to play, play as many games as you can be, be successful whoever goes because there's you got to spread those credits around you know the, the money you get from making the tournament and playing those games yeah. to more teams so i just think that they'll they'll get creative with the scheduling if they do that and and um well it'll be 12 teams 14 teams whatever i think they'll get started we're going to start seeing creative scheduling it's not going to be you play everybody twice the bottom line is monmouth is the only one that really seems that that was the one i had seen kind of like looks maybe firmed up but all right. I mean, looks firmed up. I, I'll trust the report, uh, and it's reasonable. If Hofstra, I mean, Stony Brook has been wanting in for a long time. I think Hofstra's blocked it. If Hofstra's getting on board with conference expansion, they may, they may have let that wall go down. So Stony Brook's reasonable. Again, Hampton has been trying to get in for a long time. Makes sense for us with Jamie leaving. Gives William and Mary somebody close by. I, both those make sense to me. So I, I would I would probably say those three are likely. Yeah. Uh, I, no. It, it, the other thing is I don't know what year anybody comes in. Um, my understanding, by the way, is that the MAC and the A East both have the same rule the CAA does. If you announce, yeah, your, your teams are ineligible for conference play or for postseason play. So unlike JMU, we discussed this in the past, who kind of use this as a fundraising activity and at the expense of their student athletes. I think those those schools are going to um, stay quiet, you know, until such a time. They need. So you're, this is the most kind of confirmation you're going to get. Um, this is these kind of leads media reports. Yeah. So. Um, three and a half down, and and I, for me, yeah, I think we'll see. We'll see if Albany is really in, in joining the Hickwood Stony Brook. I have no real desire to go to Albany ever. Um, so <laughs> there's some hot dog okay places there. up there. I read about there's somewhere around there, like a small hot dog that maybe like eat north of there. But no, I'm with I, you. I believe, I believe me, I'm I'm with you. So, um, but um, yeah, but Fair, Fairfield, Fairfield and Quinnipiac, those drives stink on a weeknight too. But they're at least you know. Uh, interesting and geographically makes sense. Yeah, um, me, I like Howard. Yeah, me, I, I, I want to see Mount St. Mary's because I hop on 15 and it's about a half an hour south, maybe 45 minutes. So that's what Mount St. Mary's have to find the checkbook. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So um, we went on long enough. Um, 
So, um, but we'll see how this plays out. At least some interest, you know, interesting things happening. So, um, anything else you want to throw out before we call the night here? No, I think that's it. I think we got a big week coming up for Drexel basketball, right? Uh, you got to have the men come home. They've got probably their easiest weekend of the year. Mm-hmm. So you have to sweep it. You get, you yeah. get your guys back, get healthy. We'll see if JB is back or not. But you, those are two you have to sweep, um, especially because the schedule after that is absolutely challenging, really, really hard. Uh, I think it's four straight road games after that and, and tough road games. Um, so you, you need to go come home, hold serve, take care of business. The women – the exact opposite, right? They've got two really, really tough games this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would you be happy with one and one, Nate? Um, no, I, I mean they're the champs, and you know I, I think they're good enough to win both games. So I think they probably, you know, I, I, I guess I just think back. Delaware was to me a much better team than us. We just found a way to beat them. So you know, in the tournament last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if we lost Sunday, but. Um, but the way they're playing, I, I mean, no, I think they should feel like try to win as many games as you can now because um, you never know what the future could bring. So, um, But I agree with you, too, the men. I mean, yeah, this is – got to be thinking 2-0, and and that's got to be – so let's, let's win all these games this week and we talk about wins on Sunday night. All right. Well, that's well, great. we got a, we got a big week of hoops. We're kind of – it feels like we're in the swing of things now, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah. COVID, COVID's maybe crested, so – It would be nice. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how that we'll, goes. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us. And then we'll see you most likely last Sunday night. We'll figure that out later. So, all right. Have a good night. Have a good night.